Joe Biden issues a transformative executive order designed to embed equity in every nook and cranny of American life. A shocking number of social media videos emerge showing children beating the living hell out of each other at school. And Biden garbles his message in Ukraine. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Now, folks, I don't know how much you've been watching the spate of social media videos that have emerged over the course of the last couple of years of kids beating the living hell out of each other at school. But this seems to be happening at an accelerating rate. And not just seems to be. There are a couple issues. One is the social media spate of videos themselves. There's the actual videos. And of course, those have become more prominent because everybody now has a camera on their phone and they're all posting to their Instagram or to their Snapchat or to their TikTok, all of these fights. The other is the increased happening of violence. And, and there's an enormous amount of violence that is now happening in American schools. And it's video after video, incident after incident. And we have to be asking ourselves why exactly this is happening right now. So the most widely covered incident was an incident that ended with a young 14-year-old girl actually killing herself. According to the New York Post, officials at the Central Regional School District in Ocean County, New Jersey, are bracing for howls of outrage today in their first school board meeting since a bullied teen named Andriana Cook killed herself earlier this month. The board will hold a moment of silence for the 14-year-old girl. She died by suicide February 3rd after a video of her attack was shared on social media. And they're going to appoint an acting superintendent to replace the old superintendent who resigned last week after intense backlash to his attempts to shift blame for Adriana's death to her own family. Now, again, it is hard for me to believe that a kid is only committing suicide because of a video. But if you have kids who are already vulnerable and then there are social media videos of them getting their asses kicked and they're going broad, obviously that has an impact on the kids. I mean, here is a little bit of the video. You can see this kid, this girl, just getting really beat up at school. And again, this went viral. Girl is She's on the ground cowering, and you can see these other girls. Apparently, it was. A... She's hit in the face with a bottle, kicked, and slapped until she blacks out. As she lies there on the floor, she's even taunted by one of her attackers. That's what you get, stupid. What makes the attack even more tragic is that the victim, Adriana Cush, took her own life. So a former staffer at this high school said there were days when I would break up three fights before homeroom even started. So it's not just this fight. These sorts of fights have become unbelievably common. And the administration did nothing. And you see these sorts of things happening all over the place. For example, there was a beating in a New York City school that was caught on tape. And again, you know, this, this became a national, these become national news stories. In this particular video, apparently New York police said charges are pending against a middle school student who was caught on video beating a much smaller student to the ground with his body. The video shows the two students interacting with the school bus in the background and other students walking around as the taller student grabs the other and bangs him on the ground. He then scurries away after the attack. Or, for example, there is a video from a Virginia school bus in which a seventh grader is being choked by another student. Here it was. One in five students is bullied. This 12-year-old little boy is one of them. He was choked on the school bus by an older girl student. Now his heartbroken mom is speaking with Inside Edition. She says her son is traumatized, both physically and mentally. It's shocking video taken on a school bus. A girl gets into it with a much smaller kid, then begins to choke him. I would think that they would expel her for 
you know, strangling my son. He is sad and depressed. The school district in Virginia tells Inside Edition the school administration handled the situation in line with the student discipline manual. Okay, but apparently the mom said they tried to downplay everything. They tried saying we did everything we could and we took the proper safety measures, but they absolutely didn't. They didn't tell the teachers. They didn't put in the protective order. They didn't make sure my son was safe. He was still seeing her in the hall and still seeing her in the cafeteria. They did nothing. Or there's another case. Again, this is all within the last couple of weeks. And so all of these videos are, are fairly recent. And you had a situation in Kentucky in which four middle school students were disciplined after trying to beat up a school teacher with hockey sticks. It was a fight with hockey sticks, according to WDRP in Louisville, Kentucky, involving students and a staff member. It was caught on video at Mazik Middle School. The video shows several students and an adult using plastic hockey sticks in the gym. And during a back and forth, everyone swung the sticks or jabbed it back and forth. The staff member eventually runs toward an office as the students chase behind. This is called an unfortunate incident by the principal. Here's some of the tape. A fight with hockey sticks involving several students and a staff member was caught on video at Mazik Middle School. The footage was shared with WDRB and is being shared online tonight. You can see several students and an adult using plastic hockey sticks in the gym. During a back and forth, everyone is swinging the sticks or jabbing back and forth. The staffer eventually runs toward an office as a student chases behind. The principal called the incident unfortunate in a letter that was sent home to parents. It said four students were disciplined. These tapes generally are blurred by the media because they involve minors. And there's another case from Delaware in which a 13-year-old girl, apparently, according to 6abc.com, is recovering after she was violently jumped inside her classroom in Stanton Middle School in Wilmington, Delaware. The video is being used by Delaware State Police as part of their investigation. Apparently, the daughter has special needs and the school failed to protect her. And the fight happened last week on her daughter's third day at the new school. According to the mom, they're all surrounding my daughter and watching her get kicked in the head and watching her friend get kicked in the head. And they think that this is okay. Apparently, there were threats that were written on the whiteboard before any of this happened by some of the other students. Or there was a case in Miami-Dade in which a teenage boy was accused of beating a girl on a school bus. He's a 15-year-old boy, and apparently he was attacking a 9-year-old girl on the school bus earlier this month. Here's some of that tape. We are told that the student in the video that's getting beat on, she is a third grade student here at Coconut Palm K-8 through Academy in Homestead. Now, again, as you mentioned, the video is difficult to watch. Just a warning. Let's take you there so you can see for yourself. This did happen yesterday. It happened Wednesday. We have blurred the faces of the students to protect them. Now, this video shows a group of children on board a school bus. They are arguing one minute. The next, another student begins punching on a little girl repeatedly. Then another student jumps in and pummels that little girl. The victim is nine years old. If it feels like society is falling apart, that's because it kind of is. But there are policy reasons why this is happening now. And we'll get to that in just a second. One of those policy reasons is the fact that the people who run the economy are also the people who have decided what school policy ought to look like. The people who are running the economy are, of course, running the economy into a ditch. The stock market took a serious tumble yesterday. The expectations are there will be a massive interest rate increase over the course of the next couple of months. That is, that is likely to happen. It's likely to continue happening through the end of the year. Again, there are a lot of reasons why you should diversify into something that does not rely on government largesse. And this is why I've diversified at least part of my portfolio into precious metals. You should do the same with my friends over at Birch Gold. Gold withstands inflation, geopolitical turmoil, and stock market crashes. You should consider converting your IRA or 401k into an IRA in precious metals. You can own gold in a tax shelter retirement account. Talk to the experts at Birch Gold. They've got an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews. Text Ben to 989898. 
claim your free information kit on gold today. Again, then talk to their precious metal specialists, get all your questions answered. I'm not talking about like taking all your assets and translating it into gold bars. I am talking about diversifying because that is a smart investment strategy to protect yourself against the vicissitudes of the market and the evils of government predations. Text Ben to 989898 to get started today. Okay, so what is happening at these schools? So this is not just anecdotal evidence. Okay, there, there is actual data suggesting there's been a vast uptick in the amount of violence at schools over the past several years. In fact, Edweek, which is a left-wing publication, wrote in November 2021, following the return of most U.S. school children to full-time in-person learning, a raft of anecdotal reports indicate violence may be rising in K-12 schools. Teachers are reporting breaking up fights in schools and are raising concerns about their own safety. Students have been caught with guns or other weapons on campuses in several high-profile incidents. School shootings in 2021, though still very rare, are on track to surpass their pre-pandemic high. So what exactly is happening? Well, there, there is no national representative data set to confirm there have been more violent incidents. But we do know that the most recent federal collection on school safety found that some types of violent crimes were on the rise as of the 2017-2018 school year. So this is part of a broader trend. Now, this is still below what it was in the 90s and the early 2000s. But it is a reversal of the downward trend that we actually saw in school violence. And that is not shocking, considering that we've seen a reversal of the trend in general societal-wide violence. Teachers, principals, and educators, according to Edweek, now say they're seeing an increase that has roughly paralleled the return of most students to in-person learning. So what exactly is happening here? Well, the answer is fairly obvious. What is happening here is that equity is being imposed on our schools. Equity is being imposed. School discipline is one area in which you can see the results of equity. The reason that you are seeing more kids beating each other up is because school principals and administrators, the Department of Education, state education officials, they have decided they no longer wish to police behavior in the classroom because a disproportionate share of the kids who are being suspended or expelled are kids of color. That is an actual argument that is made by the left. And their answer to that is that we should keep violent kids or kids who are troublemaking or kids who are disturbing others learning in the classroom. Now, this has a real impact largely on other minority kids. When you keep kids, who are not capable of handling themselves in a classroom, in the classroom, you're, you're focusing on that one kid. I get it. But you're ignoring the other 30 kids who are in the classroom. When you refuse to suspend or expel kids who are beating the living hell out of each other, then what you are doing is incentivizing kids to beat the living hell out of each other. And everyone is scared bleepless of the federal government coming in and suggesting that racism is being enacted in the hallways of middle schools if the principal suspends somebody who's getting in a fight. It is an unfortunate reality of life that a disproportionate share of the violent incidents that are happening on high school, middle school, elementary school campuses are happening among and, and by students of color. And that is, a, that is a serious societal problem, but it doesn't, the solution to that, to say that you don't want to police that in, in schools is, is essentially the same thing as defund the police when it comes to the actual streets of the United States. When kids are doing bad things to each other, you cannot allow them to continue to do bad things to each other. But this is, again, part of a overall proposal by the Biden administration, the Obama administration before it, to essentially curb the ability of teachers, administrators, and school officials to stop violence in the classroom. It's part of an actual overall policy. Fox News has a good piece by Liz Peake talking about this as blue state and city legislators around the nation race to pass laws that lessen penalties faced by young people for committing criminal acts. They should be aware of the surging violence in and around schools that has followed New York's passage in 2017 of the Raise the Age Act. New York's deadly legislation raised the age of criminal responsibility to 18 years old. A 16 or 17-year-old offender would no longer be prosecuted as an adult. The change was supposed to promote fairness. Justice outcomes for 16 and 17-year-olds should improve following the implementation of the Raise the Age, not worsen, declares the mayor's office website. But that has not been the case. Raise the Age has led to more, not less, teen violence. And of course, that is not 
a particular shah. Criminal gangs have taken advantage of the law in New York. They recruit underage people in order to go commit the crimes, knowing they are not going to pay a penalty. So far this year, three young people have died and at least 18 others have been shot or stabbed in gang-related incidents in and around city schools, an exponential rise from last year. This is all part of a broader rubric that is equity-based and pushed by the social left, The Root, which is a very left-wing site, focuses on race issues. They put out videos like this, and, and this has been, again, a talking point on the left for the last 10 years or so. It is something that Ibram X. Kendi has talked about on the left. It's, it's something that you see people like Nicole Hannah-Jones talking about, the school-to-prison pipeline, and the argument goes something like this. Kids in school misbehave. Teachers label, label them bad kids. These kids end up being suspended or expelled. They end up committing crimes, and then they end up in prison. And so we have to stop disciplining kids in schools. The discipline in schools is the problem. Here's a video The Root has put out on YouTube explaining the so-called school-to-prison pipeline. Whether it's getting arrested for talking back or doodling on a desk, in-school policing is harming students by taking them out of school and helping funnel them into prisons. It's called the school-to-prison pipeline. We're talking about a structure of codes and punishments that criminalizes kids as early as preschool and increases their chances of ending up in the criminal justice system. 99% of New York City school children who were handcuffed in 2016 were Black or Latinx. This happens when school resource officers are called into classrooms to discipline students, sometimes for something as small as violating a dress code or grabbing candy from a teacher's desk. Okay, so the idea here, again, is that kids are being punished for things they shouldn't be punished for, and it's all racially biased. Now, they never ask in this video how many of the people who were handcuffed, how many of the kids who were handcuffed in 2016 who were black or Latinx actually deserve to be handcuffed, right? How many of them had actually committed crimes that were worthy of being handcuffed? The basic idea is that so long as there is a disparate impact of a policy, the impact itself means that the policy is really, really bad. And this is, a, this is an idea that has been picked up at the highest levels of our government. So, for example, a Department of Education official named Kayla Patrick, she says racism is baked into school discipline. And she's not making any bones about this. So I walk into the school office to be interviewed for this job, and I saw a line of black boys, black boys sitting in the office in silence, doing nothing, learning nothing. And they had been sent there by their teachers because they had in some way broken the rules. So school discipline is a symptom of a racist and punitive system that often fails to see children as children. Instead of helping students to learn and grow from mistakes, educators send them to the office or send them home or even sometimes call the police. And Black students are more likely to be offended, uh, affected by that. Um, black girls are six times more likely to be suspended from school. Um, and they're five times more likely to be arrested at school than white girls. Okay. And they never ask the question, well, is there a behavioral discrepancy that explains the disparity? Not every disparity is, in fact, discrimination. Instead, the solution from the left always and forever is equity. And this is infused. This is a great, excellent example of how equity policy ends up with a worse life for everyone, including minority students at schools who are now engaging in violence and then being kicked out of the classroom because the incentive structure is to do that sort of thing. Or they're in the schools and they're not the ones who are violent. They're just in a violent scenario now. There are more violent kids in the school. All of this is a disaster area. But let's talk about something that should not be a disaster area. That, of course, is your skin quality. So, you know, for, for people like me, or I don't get enough sleep. I tend to get bags under my eyes. I can tell you that GenuCell skincare helps me. GenuCell was born from its founder in a small New Jersey town as a favor to one of his pharmacy customers. Using rare botanical extracts and scientifically researched ingredients, GenuCell is uniquely formulated 
to target all visible signs of aging, fine lines, wrinkles, dark spots, a sagging jawline, even those puffy under eye bags. The Genucel product you use today uses the same one-of-a-kind proprietary flower base developed by its founder all those years ago. All Genucel products work for both men and women. Plus, they're safe for all skin types. You're guaranteed to see immediate results in 12 hours or your money back. So why not try Genucel's most popular package for 70% off at genucel.com slash I've used it myself. My wife has used it. My mom has used it. Join millions of happy customers like me and my wife and my mom who've already fallen in love with the results from Genucel Plus. For a limited time, get Genucel's probiotic extract infused moisturizer free with every most popular package. Subscribe. Get a complimentary bonus box. Go to genucel.com slash Shapiro. That's G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash Shapiro. So again, equity policy ends with really, really bad outcomes. And it's been embraced full scale by the Biden administration. So the Biden administration in June 2021 told Edwick at the same time that Edwick was saying, by the way, there's been a spike in violence in schools. Have you noticed? The U.S. Department of Education announced that they plan to explore fairness in school discipline, reopening one of the most contentious education civil rights debates in recent years. The agency announced, again, this is 2021, it plans to seek public comment on discipline and school climate and how to best support and build schools' capacity to promote positive, inclusive, safe, and supportive school climates in a non-discriminatory manner. Now, how will we tell if discrimination is happening? Well, just look at the stats. If more black kids per capita and white kids per capita are getting disciplined at school, then this means racism. Now, no one ever asked why it is that more white kids per capita than, for example, Asian kids per capita are getting disciplined at school because that would completely blow up the narrative. The narrative, of course, is always that, that America is a white privileged country and we never pay attention to the fact that there are actually a lot of minority groups in the United States that outperform traditionally Caucasian people in the United States as a group. But the idea is that we can never look to actual underlying causes. So the actual underlying causes, by the way, for school violence are pretty simple. Single motherhood is a major cause of school violence. When you don't have a dad in the home to actually discipline, it is a serious problem. It's particularly true for young boys, but it's also true for young girls. It turns out social media is really bad and social media in school is really bad. Kids should not have access to internet available phones in school. School is a place for learning. School is not a place where you take a video of your friends kicking the crap out of each other and then post it on social media. And yes, equity policies, which get rid of school resource officers and tie the hands of administrators. And by the way, you think schools want to suspend or expel students? They do not, particularly public schools. Do you know how the money gets allocated? Money gets allocated to most schools in the United States based on the attendance of the students. So if a bunch of kids don't show up at school, the school typically gets less money, which, by the way, is a, one of the reasons why you see sometimes schools actually inflating the stats on how many kids attend the school. They'll, they'll pretend that people are attending or not. But the idea that en masse, teachers are just wanting to throw kids out of the classroom for racist purposes. First of all, you're going to have to explain why a disparate share. Are, are, are New York City school teachers more racist than other places? According to The Root, they are, right? 99% of the kids who are ending up in handcuffs at school are black and Latinx. Latinx, a term no one has ever used except for people like The Root. But nobody ever bothers that. So are the teachers racist or the school administrators racist in New York? Is that like the most racist place on earth? Apparently, nearly everybody there who's getting arrested is black or Hispanic. But you're not supposed to mention the possibility that educational disparities or behavioral disparities are a very real thing. Instead, you're just supposed to go along with the equity plan. This is why you have people like Brian Schatz, the senator from Hawaii, writing a letter to the secretary of education in February 2022, writing, quote, in support of the Department of Education's efforts to improve school climate and safety consistent with civil rights laws. I encourage the department to develop and provide clear guidance and recommendations to state educational agencies, local educational agencies, individual schools on policies on the use of school-based arrests, in addition to broader referrals of school disciplinary incidents to law enforcement authorities. So you should never arrest kids. You should never refer them for arrest. You should never report things to the authorities. Now, again, this is insane. 
It is insane because, again, disparity does not equal discrimination. Heather McDonald wrote back in 2018 about this. She said, in schools, disparate impact analysis results in the conclusion that racially neutral rules must nevertheless contain bias because black students nationally are suspended at nearly three times the rate of white students. All the way back in 2014, the Obama administration relied on this method to announce that schools that suspended or expelled students at higher rates than white students were violating anti-discrimination laws. To understand how absurd that is, look at Duval County, Florida. It has the Sunshine State's highest juvenile homicide rates. 73 kids, some as young as 11, have been arrested for murder and manslaughter over the past decade. Black juveniles made up 87.6% of those arrests. Whites made up 8%. The black population in Duval County was 28.9% in 2010. The white population was 56.6%, making black youngsters 21.6 times more likely to be arrested for homicide than white youngsters. Is that because of racism in the criminal justice system? Yeah, but this is the same exact logic that is now being applied across the government. And it has horrible consequences. You're seeing those consequences in the schools, not just, by the way, in upticks in the number of young black females and males engaging in attacks in schools, but the number of kids overall who are engaging in these attacks. Because if the new rule is nobody gets punished for attacking other kids in schools, what do you think is going to happen at schools? And I point this out because this is a tip of the iceberg issue. And in a second, we're going to get to a lower on the iceberg issue, which impacts all of government. What's happening in education is now happening across the American government. Joe Biden has now put forward an executive order to essentially turn the entire executive branch of the United States into a giant equity department designed to promote policies like the ones you are seeing in schools that are resulting in more kids getting the crap kicked out of them. That sort of policy is now going to be applied government-wide by Joe Biden's administration. It's the single most sweeping executive order that I have seen in my lifetime. And it is perverse and it is racist. It's, it's quite vile. And th- th- these, are, these are things that, that make you worry for your country, for sure. Well, if you are worried, not just for your country, but if you're worried for your life, as you should be, because we all die, you should get some life insurance. I mean, you could be walking down the street one day, and if you're in Florida, suddenly you're attacked by an alligator. And as the alligator clamps its jaws around your, your jugular, you start thinking about that time you were listening to the Ben Shapiro show. And I said, you should get policy genius. You thought, oh, maybe I really should have listened to him. Policy Genius can make it easy for you to get life insurance quotes by comparing life insurance quotes from top companies and finding your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 39 bucks per month for 2 million bucks in coverage. Some options offer coverage in as little as a week and avoid those unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius's licensed agents can help you find coverage options in as little as a week. They work for you, not the insurance companies, which means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another so you can actually trust their guidance. There are no added fees. Your personal information will remain private. Your loved ones deserve a financial safety net and you deserve a smarter way to find and buy it. Head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro. Click the link in the description and get your free life insurance quotes. See how much you could save today. That's policygenius.com slash Shapiro. Get the life insurance that you and your family require. Policygenius.com slash Shapiro. So if you like what you're seeing in education, wait until you see what Joe Biden just unleashed. Now he did this just before a long weekend, which is always the best time to dump giant political news. You dump it right before a long weekend. So February 16th, which again was last week, he dumped it. It was was very little noticed, not reported on, an executive order on further advancing racial equity and support for underserved communities through the federal government. Now, that sounds like nice, right? I mean, this is all happy talk, jargon. Advancing racial equity, that sounds, I mean, like we we would would love racial equity. Now, what they mean by racial equity is equal outcome by group identity, which of course is nonsense. Racial equity, when we hear racial equity, what we hear is racial equality, meaning everybody should be treated the same on an individual level by the law, which we all agree with. Racial equity means something quite different. It means that if there's a disparate impact of a law, you have to change the law. If a law is facially neutral, 
and treats every individual the same. But criminals happen to, unfortunately, be more prevalent in particular groups in the population, say men versus women. Well, then obviously that's a disparate impact and the law is to blame. Any failure of outcome, it's Ibram X. Kendi on steroids. It is, the, it is the misuse of the most powerful branch of the most powerful government in human history in order to restructure all of American society along the guises of racial equity. Equity is not the same as equality. Equity is about social justice, not actual justice, which is the op- social justice is the opposite of actual individual justice. That's why it's called social as opposed to just justice. And support for underserved communities through the federal government. And again, even the term underserved communities suggests that communities that are quote unquote, underperforming. It's not because there are social pathologies that exist in cultures in particular communities, which there absolutely do. I mean, trying to pretend that the cultural attitudes toward education are the same in, say, Korean American households versus versus inner city black households, on average, not individually, on average, pretending that there are no differences whatsoever is obviously silly. It's not true. That has nothing to do with race and it has everything to do with pathologies of culture that exist. And again, there are differences that are good and there are differences that are bad across cultures. But this is a difference that is particularly beneficial for Asian Americans, which is why they outperform academically. That is not because Asians are genetically superior. It's because many cultures in Asia actually value education. Kids spend more time studying. Parents put a lot of pressure on their kids to study. Parents are married more often in the Asian community, right? These are all things that contribute to the life of a child. We all understand this on an individual level. As soon as you start talking about it socially, everybody gets real quiet. Everybody gets real nervous. Now, there's no reason to be nervous about that stuff because it says nothing about race. It has nothing to do with genetics. It has nothing to do with skin color. It has everything to do with the ways in which people live and congregate. And those are all things that if you wish to succeed, you on an individual level, you can change those things. But that's not what the Biden administration thinks. The Biden administration thinks, that if one community is quote-unquote underperforming, it must be because they are underserved, because the federal government is essentially God. The federal government is going to fix all grievous injustices in the world. They're going to right every wrong. They're going to fix every disparity. They're going to relieve the consequences of individual decision-making that congregate by group. So what exactly does Joe Biden's new executive policy do, his new executive order? It is horrifyingly broad. This is a direct quote. By advancing equity, the federal government can support and empower all Americans, including the many communities in America that have been underserved, discriminated against, and adversely affected by persistent poverty and inequality. Now, I love the the sort of terminology that everyone in America who's a part of of a minority group that is apparently not Asians or Jews, that everybody is, quote, adversely affected by persistent poverty, as though poverty is a sort of weird disease that sort of descends on you. Now, that attitude, obviously, is the precise opposite of an equality attitude, which suggests that poverty is something that you can actually move against on an individual level by making a series of good decisions. Hey, the the success sequence that has come under attack by the left happens to be statistically durable. If you do not wish to live in persistent poverty, you as an individual have to do three things and three things only in the United States. One, finish high school. In the United States, that means like basically able to do some math and basically able to read because high schools in the United States are are largely garbage, depending on where you are. One, finish high school. Two, get a full-time job. Go into the workforce. Don't be dependent on a government paycheck. Three, don't have babies before you're married. That's it. Those are the three things. You do those three things, you'll not be permanently poor in the United States. But according to the Biden administration, that's not enough because communities are being affected by persistent poverty and inequality. And I love that they're being affected by inequality. Welcome to human life where everyone is affected by inequality. 
There are inequalities in literally every area of life. That does not mean that the inequality can be laid at the feet of the quote-unquote system. Sometimes the inequality is because of behavior. Sometimes the inequality is because of inborn differences between people. I'm a 5'9 Jewish guy who can't jump. I ain't playing in the NBA anytime soon. By contrast, there are people who are not as smart as I am. Those people may not run a business. Right? These inequalities exist throughout human life. And pretending that every human being is born identical is simply ridiculous. It is not true. Now, that's one of the beauties of capitalism, by the way, is comparative advantage means that IQ points, even if it might make you better at being a plumber than the plumber who lives next door, that doesn't mean that you should spend your time plumbing. It means that you should outsource the plumbing to the guy who lives next door. And he can be really, really wealthy. I know a lot of very wealthy plumbers, actually. Comparative advantage is a beautiful thing. It allows people to find niches where no one else is filling the niche. However, the perspective, again, of the Biden administration is that any inequality is a result of bad policy, which is a, essentially a Marxist viewpoint. The Biden racist DEI executive order goes on. In short, my administration has embedded a focus on equity into the fabric of federal policymaking and service delivery. Embedded it. Remember when we talked about the deep state under Trump, right? There's, there's these bureaucracies and these bureaucracies existed in order to apparently thwart the will of Donald Trump from the State Department to the IRS. They existed to do the opposite of what Donald Trump wanted them to do as president of the United States. Joe Biden is openly saying he's now stacking the federal bureaucracy with a bunch of people who believe in equity principles. Achieving racial equity, says the Biden administration, and support for underserved communities is not a one-time project. It must be a multi-generational commitment. This goes on forever. There is no actual endpoint. Because here's the beautiful thing about arguing against persistent poverty and inequality. These things have always existed and they will always exist. There will be people in poverty, literally forever. As Jesus said, Right? The poor will always be with you. There will always be some people who are doing less well than others. There will never be a point in human history where everybody is earning the same amount of money, making the same amount of money, living exactly an identical lifestyle. That is never going to happen. And in fact, all efforts at, at creating that have ended with some of the worst horrors visited upon human beings imaginable. The Soviet Union, it turns out, was a terrible place to live. Inequality in prosperity is a hell of a lot better than equality in poverty and oppression. But it's going to be a multi-generational commitment that never ends because you can never reach full equality. You can never reach a point where there is no poverty. It must remain the responsibility of agencies across the federal government, says Joe Biden. It therefore continues to be the policy of my administration to advance an ambitious whole of government approach to racial equity and support for underserved communities and continuously embed equity into all aspects of federal decision making. It's an idea that's going to eat everything you understand. Every single area, environmental policy, economic policy, school policy, as you see. And sure, the results are going to be absolutely egregious, but you are following your star. You're following the star of equity. Every agency of the government, according to this document, quote, must ensure they have in place an agency equity team within their respective agencies to coordinate the implementation of equity initiatives and ensure that their respective agencies are delivering equitable outcomes for the American people. They, every single agency. Now, I have a question. Where does the president of the United States get the authority to do any of this? None of this was the authority given to the executive branch by Congress. Nowhere did Congress give the president of the United States the executive authority to implement an entire policy prescription for all of regulatory government for generations. That is not a thing that Congress ever did. This is a massive seizure of power. It should be challenged in the courts. I mean, first of all, it is violative of the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment to the Constitution. But beyond that, the, the legislature, I mean, Kevin McCarthy and the House, they better get their asses on this thing. They better be putting forward a bill tomorrow to repeal this executive order and force Democrats to actually vote on this thing. Force Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema to vote along with Democrats to uphold 
a racial equity lens for all of American government. When designing, developing, acquiring, and using artificial intelligence and automated systems, says this executive order, in the federal government, agencies shall do so consistent with the applicable law in a manner that advances equity. So even AI is now going to be given equity principles within which to operate. The government-wide goal for federal procurement dollars awarded to small business concerns owned and controlled by socially and economically disadvantaged individuals shall be 15% in fiscal year 2025. So now the federal government is essentially going to engage in affirmative action when it comes to giving, not giving, when it comes to actual small business loans. So we are now going to look at companies and say, is this company run by a black person? If so, you get the loan. If the company's run by an impoverished white person from Ohio living in East Palestine, screw it, not gonna happen. This is, again, I can't stress this enough. Joe Biden openly says he wants to embed this in every single department of the federal government, every single department. There, there are no departments that are not affected by this executive order. So what you are seeing in schools right now is, in fact, just the tip of the iceberg. It is a thing that the federal government would love to do every to, to every single area of American life, every single one. That equity-focused leadership across the federal government, those agency equity teams, those, those strike forces that exist within every single agency of the federal government are going to be making policy that privileges certain groups above other groups depending on who is, quote-unquote, disadvantaged and which groups are, quote-unquote, underserved. It is racist, it is terrifying, and it should be something that Kevin McCarthy and the House Republicans get on right now. Whatever they are doing, it is less important than this thing. Because you embed this throughout the federal bureaucracy for generations, and that is effectively the end of the constitutional bargain and the bargain of the Declaration of Independence to boot. Okay, in just a second, we're going to be getting to Joe Biden, who, while he is trying to affect world-breaking change here at home, is uh, botching the English language over in Ukraine. First, you know, you may have noticed that there are a lot of emergencies that happen all the time lately. And whether you're talking about an earthquake in Turkey, whether you're talking about a train derailment in Ohio, uh, there may be situations that arise in your life where you can't get to the pharmacy or where the supply chains break and your pharmacy just doesn't have the medication you need. This is why I got emergency medications from Jace Medical. The FDA actually just declared a global shortage of certain medications and warned that critical antibiotics are in extreme short supply. Do yourself and your family a favor. Get the Jace case right now. It is a pack of five prescription antibiotics you should have on hand at all times for common emergencies. Visit jacemedical.com. Take a few minutes to fill out their online form. This is, in fact, the smart thing to do, right? Having these medications on hand in case, God forbid, something goes wrong, you're making a safe bet because something across the course of the next few decades probably will. Your information will be reviewed by a board-certified physician. Your medication will, in fact, be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. Enter code BEN at checkout for a discount on your order. That's J-A-S-E, medical.com, promo code BEN, jacemedical.com, promo code BEN. Go check them out right now. Also, in honor of our President's Day this year, the Daily Wire launched our President's for Sale sale, 40% off memberships. The big guy got 10%. We gave you 40% off, and you can still get 40% off, which means get access to the world of Daily Wire Plus with fearless documentaries, gripping movies, Dennis Prager's The Master's Program, the entire library, of Jordan Peterson's work, including new productions like Exodus, Logos, and Literacy, and On Marriage, all available to watch right now. And coming soon, new episodes of my show, The Search, Jordan Peterson's Vision and Destiny, and Exodus Part 2. We will also be getting our much-anticipated DW Kids content later this year, plus the epic Pendragon Saga. It's our first fiction series later this year. It's awesome. Like extra sprinkles on the president's ice cream cone, we're also giving you up to 40% off select items in the Daily Wire shop. We have a lot of good gear over there. Take advantage of our president's for sale sale today. Just go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Become a member today. That's dailywire.com slash subscribe. Well, meanwhile, Joe Biden headed over to Ukraine to the enthralled, gasping 
of the members of our media. Wow, so brave, so risky for him to, I mean, he, he literally warned the Russians. His team told the Russians he is coming so that they would not attempt to do anything to the plane or fire missiles into Kiev while, while he was there. But it's super risky. Risky McRiskelot. So he, he then obviously did not stay in Ukraine. He gave a speech in Poland. And uh, while he was speaking, he had some words about Ukraine. This is his attempt to play strong leader. Now, again, I'm, I'm a supporter of American support for Ukraine. I believe that it is accomplishing many strategic goals for the United States to push Russia as far out of Ukraine as possible, to break the Russian military will for expansionism, to dissuade the Chinese from invading Taiwan, to uphold the idea that the United States is still invested enough in world politics to ensure, for example, freedom of the seas and free trade. I think all of those are important goals. I just think Joe Biden is the wrong man for the job, particularly when it comes to his, his rhetoric. Like the obvious inconsistencies in the things that Joe Biden says and does are a real problem for his agenda. So Joe Biden was speaking yesterday and uh, he had some sterling words about Ukraine. He said, Ukraine will never be a victory for Russia, which, okay, I mean, great. Autocrats only understand one word, no, no, no. No, you will not take my country. No, you will not take my freedom. No, you will not take my future. And I'll repeat tonight what I said last year in the same place. A dictator bent on rebuilding an empire will never be able to ease the people's love of liberty. Brutality will never grind down the will of the free. And Ukraine, Ukraine will never be a victory for Russia. Never. Okay, I mean, inspiring stuff from the geriatric president of the United States. And again, I have some questions about his whole freedom will always win. Autocrats can only be dealt with by, by force. They can only be opposed. You handed Afghanistan to the Taliban, dude. I mean, like, I just can't get over that. I'm never going to get over the fact that everybody has sort of just skipped over that. They skipped over the part where the president of the United States, for no reason that is possibly comprehensible, decided that it would be an amazing idea to hand the Taliban and the Haqqani network, which is essentially al-Qaeda, Kabul, tens of thousands of people who helped the United States leave hundreds of Americans behind, get 13 American soldiers killed in the process. Like, I'm sorry, I, I don't believe him. I don't be like, right now, the cost of the United States is really low in Ukraine. That is why all the talk about it. it's an endless war. It's an, the United States has not lost a single soldier in this war because we don't have boots on the ground in harm's way in Ukraine. The United States has been signing checks. Signing checks to watch the Russian military get its ass kicked is actually a pretty good deal for American geopolitics. That said, is Joe Biden's word worth worth pretty much anything? It's, it's hard to look at his record and, and say yes. Meanwhile, Joe Biden says, Ukrainian flags are flying all across America. Uh, again, the, the irony here is, is kind of rich. The same people, I would say a disproportionate share of the people who are flying Ukrainian flags in America feel very uncomfortable about flying American flags in America. Here is Joe Biden. And the American people are united in our resolve as well. All across my country, in big cities and small towns, Ukrainian flags fly from American homes. Over the past year, Democrats and Republicans in our United States Congress have come together to stand for freedom. That's who Americans are, and that's what Americans do. Yeah, again, I'm all for the American stands for, for freedom routine. I mean, we, I think broadly speaking, America does. That is our long-term goal. However, the American flags are flying and, and Ukrainian flags are flying in America. It, it's become a virtue signal for a lot of people on the left, particularly to support 
what's going on in Ukraine when we all know full well, by the way, that if Donald Trump were president, it would be precisely the opposite situation. Everything's gotten so partisan now that if Donald Trump said, okay, we are going to send support to Ukraine, then many people on the left would be like, this is interventionism. It's, it's nonsense. It's only because Donald Trump was, was working with... Okay. Then, then we got to Joe Biden's, you know, great gaffness. So here, here he was yesterday failing to speak the language of English. America was being tested. NATO was being tested. All democracies are being tested. And the questions we face were as simple as they were profound. Would we respond or would we look the other way? Would we be strong or would we be weak? Would we, we, would be, would we the, all of our allies, would be united or divided? One year later, we know the answer. We did respond. We would be strong. We would be united. And the world would not look would the other Would we remedy? Would we I do enjoy the fact that occasionally our president breaks into Louis Armstrong-like scat in the middle of his speech. He's like, yeah, very important question. Very important question is, <laughs> it is it is enjoyable. Okay, so here is one of the problems. Again, the pro- all for supporting Ukraine in the war against Russia to the best of our ability to achieve American, American strategic goals. Not Ukrainian strategic goals, American strategic goals. The problem is, what is the off-ramp? I keep saying this, I've been saying this for months. What does an off-ramp look like? What is the strategy to get to an off-ramp? Well, yesterday, NATO's chief said, we are concerned that China is going to involve itself in arming Russia directly, which does, in fact, broaden the conflict and makes things kind of awkward. We are also increasingly concerned that China may be planning to provide lethal support for Russia's war. Putin must not win. That would show that aggression works and force is rewarded. It will be dangerous for our own security and for the whole world. Well, I mean, if it's, if it's that dangerous, then you might want to think about, like, how do we get to the end of this thing faster rather than slower? According to the Wall Street Journal, Xi Jinping is prepared to visit Moscow for a summit with Russia's president in the coming months. According to people familiar with the plan, as Putin wages war in Ukraine, Beijing says it wants to play a more active role aimed at ending the conflict. The people familiar with Xi's trip plans said a meeting with Putin would be part of a push for multi-party peace talks and allow China to reiterate its call that nuclear weapons not be used. Western capitals are currently expressing skepticism about China's diplomatic initiative, the broad outlines of which were first previewed by the country's top diplomat, Wang Yi, at the Munich Security Conference. So China getting more directly involved would, in fact, be a bad thing. Presumably, China is trying to bring the United States and Ukraine to the table with this particular threat. The United States should not allow itself to be threatened by China. By the same token, this is one of the reasons why I would hope that there are some serious backdoor negotiations happening with the Russians right now in an attempt to reach a conclusion. Because, well, you know, the entire foreign policy class in the United States keeps talking about Ukraine. There are also problems here at home. And it is an act of political dereliction for the Biden administration to continue to go soft on some of the problems here at home while Joe Biden goes out there and champions what's happening, you know, two continents away because Ukraine is sort of on the border of, of Asia. Uh, here is uh, Pete Buttigieg trying to explain. He's Secretary of Transportation. He's trying to explain what's going on in East Palestine, Ohio yesterday. And they are just bad at this. This is the first time that Pete Buttigieg has, has really looked like a deer in the headlights. And that's because actual responsibility has now devolved upon him. His actual responsibility for most of his mayoralty was fairly low. He didn't actually solve the pothole problem in South Bend, Indiana. Domino's Pizza had to raise money to solve the pothole problem in South Bend, Indiana. Then he was elevated to presidential candidate by the fact that he is a gay man. And then he was elevated to the secretary of transportation by the fact that he is a gay man who likes airports. And so now he actually has responsibility and it's, it's kind of wearing, wearing big on him. 
Here is Pete Buttigieg yesterday trying to explain why he has East Palestine under control. The mayor of East Palestine has said it took nearly two weeks for the White House to contact him. There were shouts of, where's Pete Buttigieg at a town hall meeting last week. Uh, what's your response to that? When are you going to go to East Palestine? I do want to stress that the NTSB needs to be able to do its work independently. But when I go, the focus is going to be on action. Look, I was mayor of my hometown for eight years. We dealt with a lot of disasters, natural and human. And one of the things I noticed very quickly is that there's two kinds of people who show up when you have that kind of disaster experience. People who are there because they have a specific job to do and are there to get something done. And people who are there to look good and have their picture taken. Oh, well, uh, wow. I mean, first of all, I kind of agree with Pete Buttigieg's general take on this thing, but he is in the business of being places to have his picture taken. I mean, if we applied his logic to Joe Biden in Ukraine, for example, you might ask yourself, is Joe Biden there to do a thing or is he there to have his picture taken? <laughs> but we don't apply that logic, right? It's a shifting logic. The shifting logic is that Joe Biden is in Ukraine to do good, even though no good is actually getting done. But Pete Buttigieg shouldn't go to East Palestine because it'll be a distraction. It's a strange logic, to be sure. Buttigieg did admit mistakes in the train derailment. He said, I should have spoken sooner. I should have done something. Uh, yeah, well, you could, you know, get involved now. Do you have like some plans to do so? What's your message to people who are concerned that the department was late to speak out on this issue? They're saying that transportation and EPA was late to the game and speaking out and responding to the situation in East Palestine. Well, to be clear, our department was on the ground within hours, uh, helping with the response and the investigation. Again, I respect the separate role of NTSB, but we have been on the ground literally from day one uh, to make sure that uh, that we're doing our part to support. Uh, I do think that it's important to speak out about that. And I could have spoken out sooner. And I'm uh, making sure that we are focused on the actions that are going to make a difference. Mm, are you, though? Are you, though? Well, meanwhile, the economic news continues to be rather bad for the Biden administration. Walmart and Home Depot have given a cautious outlook as shoppers are spending more on the basics. Recession is coming in that right quick. According to the Wall Street Journal, consumers are spending more on food and less on electronics, apparel, and home improvements as inflation and changing habits zap demand for many goods. Two of the country's largest retailers reported on Tuesday. Both Walmart and Home Depot have enjoyed robust sales for much of the past two years because people were looking for bargains or fixing up their homes. Now, more of the shoppers' budgets are going to groceries and travel, according to the executives. Consumers are still spending money, said Walmart. It's obviously not as clear to us what the back half of the year, however, looks like. U.S. home sales have now fallen for the 12th consecutive month. Sales of previously owned homes dropped 0.7% in January to the slowest level since October of 2010. So all those people whose value was locked up in the value of their home are starting to feel the pinch. The economy is indeed slowing. That is on the back of the inflationary economy created by Joe Biden and the Federal Reserve. Meanwhile, Bernie Sanders is out there bragging that Joe Biden is basically doing his work. He is doing the Marxist work. Here is, uh, here is Bernie Sanders. He's promoting a new book, by the way. Uh, in which he talks about how it's okay to be angry about capitalism from his lake house or something. Here he is with Stephen Colbert, another very, very wealthy person, talking about the evils of capitalism in a, in a capitalist society. Is Joe Biden Bernie Sanders Bernie Sanders? Or should I say Joe Biden? <laughs> um, the president and I worked together uh, after the campaign. Uh, our teams sat down and we said, all right, how do we bring the campaigns together to come up with an agenda that works for working families. And the end result of it was, I didn't agree with everything that was there. He didn't agree with everything that was there. But essentially, we put together probably the most progressive 
outline that any president has introduced since FDR. So on the economic front, we have the most progressive presidency since FDR, according to Bernie Sanders, an actual honest to God socialist. On the racial equity front, we have the president of the United States embedding, quote unquote, equity in every area of the American government. And on the foreign policy front, we have a president who seems to be kind of pottering around on foreign policy without any real sort of overarching plans for what he would like to see happen. So things are going great, which means that somebody should probably defeat him. There's another candidate who's announced on the right side of the aisle now. So this makes him the, the second candidate who's actively announced for the presidency. This, of course, is my friend Vivek Ramaswamy. He's appeared on an episode of The Search. He's a really fascinating and interesting guy. This is an out-of-the-box candidacy. He's never held political office before. He is the founder of Royvent Biosciences, so which is a publicly traded biopharmaceutical company. Um, and, uh, and he has made his fortune in that industry. He's also become uh, somewhat notorious over the past couple of years for talking about woke capitalism and the evils thereof. He's a super smart guy. And at the very least, he's going to improve the quality of the conversation in this particular presidential race. I, I could see him having sort of a, an Andrew Yang type breakout here on the, on the right side of the aisle. Here is his first campaign ad. We're in the middle of a national identity crisis. Faith, patriotism, and hard work have disappeared, only to be replaced by new secular religions like COVIDism, climatism, and gender ideology. We hunger to be part of something bigger than ourselves Yet we cannot even answer the question of what it means to be an American. Today, the woke left preys on that vacuum. They tell you that your race, your gender, and your sexual orientation govern who you are, what you can achieve, and what you're allowed to think. This is psychological slavery, and that has created a new culture of fear in our country that has completely replaced our culture of free speech in America. And that is why today, I am announcing my run for president of the United States. So as I've said, you know, when it comes to these candidates, there are a lot of them who are going to get in the race. It's going to weed some people out. But if it's a candidate like Vivek, who, again, is a long shot candidate, right? He's never held political office before. He doesn't have a lot of big money backers, but he can actually ask some really difficult questions during the primaries. I think that that's going to be really good for the race as a general rule. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things that, that I hate. So things that I like, let us begin with one of the great episodes of South Park ever. So South Park you know, is, is a show that I have enjoyed, I would say on an infrequent basis from time to time. It's not like a regular watch for me, but there are certain episodes that are just classics. And they did, in fact, release a classic this week. It centered on Prince Harry and Meghan Markle and their consistent attempts to be private by constantly seeking attention. It's hysterically funny. So let me start with you, sir. You've lived a life with the royal family. You've had everything handed to you, but you say your life has been hard, and now you've written all about it in your new book, Where? Yes, that's right, friend. You see, my wife and I are totally like you should write a book because your family like stupid, and then so are like journalists. So you hate journalists. That's right. And now you wrote a book that reports on the lives of the royal family. Right. So you're a journalist. We just want to be normal people. All this attention is so hard. Isn't it true, sir, that your questionable wife has her own TV show and hangs out with celebrities and does fashion magazines? What are you suggesting? Well, I just think some people might say that your Instagram-loving wife actually doesn't want her privacy. How dare you, sir? My Instagram-loving wife has always wanted her privacy. And you know what else? To hell with Canada. We are leaving. We'll go find some quiet place where we can be normal people. Come on, wife. We want privacy. We, we want, want privacy. privacy. We want privacy. 
And, uh, and they then proceed to take a jet around the United States and around the world, actually, looking for privacy on what they call their worldwide privacy tour, complete with song. Uh, it is... <laughs> And these folks are actually, I would say they're beyond parody, but clearly they're not. South Park did an amazing job on that. There were actual rumors, by the way, that Harry and Meghan wanted to sue the creators of South Park. There were actual rumors that came out to that effect, which would be just a perfect example of the so-called Streisand effect. The Streisand effect is named after Barbara Streisand, the famed singer, because there was a, a point a couple of decades back when there was an aerial photograph taken of the California coast. And nobody had ever seen this photograph. It was, it was in a public place, but nobody ever had seen it. And this aerial photograph contained a picture of Barbara Streisand's home. It wasn't labeled or anything. And so Barbara Streisand freaked out and she threatened to sue the photographer unless he took down the photo. And he was like, I'm not taking down the photo. It's a picture of the coastline. Why, why would I take down the photo? But because she sued him, it ended up becoming a very popular photo and millions of people saw it. This is the same sort of thing. The fact that this was even discussed, like suing South Park over this is, is amazing. A representative said, it's all frankly nonsense, totally baseless, boring reports. But apparently, apparently, the response followed days of articles noting that the Duchess of Sussex was distinctly unhappy about Matt Stone and Trey Parker's depiction of the couple. The spectator had claimed she was upset and overwhelmed by the show and annoyed by South Park, but refuses to watch it all, despite it being unclear who its source was. That, by the way, is hysterically funny. She's upset and overwhelmed by the show. Now, the, so one of the things in the show that is so devastating is that it, it points out that Harry and Meghan are claiming victimhood and are some of the least victimized people on the planet. The whole, sh the whole episode is about how one of the characters in South Park goes to an image consultant to remake his image as a school child. And Harry and Megan have already gone to the image consultant. And the end of every image consultant's pitch for what your new brand should be is victim. So for the princess, it's stuff like first lady annoyer, victim. For the prince, it's like prince, victim. And so when they claim victimhood, when she's like, oh my God, I'm so upset and overwhelmed by South Park. All you had to do was go and live your life and nobody would care. Instead, you decided that you were going to go and sign a deal with Spotify and a deal with Netflix and that you were going to be a famous person. And that you're, again, the, the, the very notion that Meghan Markle married into the royal family because she was seeking a private life with the man she loved is absurd. As I pointed out, I mean, I did like a full review of Harry's silly book. And, um, you know, like in the book, he talks about his dating history with Meghan. On like the fourth date, he invited her to spend a week in Africa with him. And she's like, sure. And he's like, she didn't know who I was. She didn't Google me. Uh-huh. She literally covered Kate Middleton's wedding on her Instagram page. So yeah, I'm pretty sure she knew who you were. And I'm pretty sure that you might be married now because she knew who you were. As it turns out, people like Prince Harry, meaning a habitual approaching middle-aged drug user and alcoholic who can't hold down a steady job don't tend to land B-list actresses. Just as a general rule, unless they are princes. If they are princes, it seems to help the deal a little bit. It's, it's honestly amazing stuff from South Park as per the usual, but <laughs> really, really funny. Okay, another thing I like. So I want to tell you about a great episode in child rearing. So you hear all of my horror stories about what it's like to have kids. And you hear some of my cute stories about what it's like to have kids as well. So last, this is a really great story because it teaches you the value of the free market. So last week, my kids and I, you know, it's late in the afternoon. One of the things that we like to do in our neighborhood, there are some golf courses. And one of the things that sometimes we'll do is we'll go take a golf cart and we'll like go to the outskirts of the golf courses and we'll pick up stray golf balls that have been missing. It's, it's like almost an Easter egg hunt for my kids. It's really, really fun. They like to they get off the, the cart and they like dig the golf balls out of the dirt and all of this sort of stuff. And over the course of maybe the past month, it turns out that they dug up like 75 or 80 of these golf balls. 
And so they decided to start a business, my nine-year-old and my six-year-old, my nine-year-old daughter, my six-year-old son. And so they started a business. They put up a, a sign and they decided to sell the golf balls, the used golf balls for a dollar. My son didn't really understand the pricing mechanism at the beginning. So at, at the beginning, there was one red golf ball that he really liked. He's like, I will sell this for $100. And I said to him, I mean, if you want to keep the golf ball, that's a good strategy, but do you want to keep it or do you want to sell it? And he said, well, you know, I said, would you rather have a dollar or would you rather have the golf ball? He said, I'd rather have a dollar. Fine. So he lowered the pricing mechanism. This is how markets work, folks. And, uh, and then we put out a notice to our kind of local community group on WhatsApp. And we said that my kids are selling golf balls, used golf balls for a buck a piece. And this is one of the beautiful things about being part of a really nice community. Everybody decided they're going to buy used golf balls for my kids. So in the first 10, 15 minutes of this, of this notice going out, all of our friends said, okay, I'll take 10 golf balls. I'll take 15 golf balls and, and all the rest. So my kids got super into it. They made like a, a flyer. They made a sign. They took pictures. We went, we, they made little bags. They dropped off the golf balls. Door-to-door you know, -door service. That was part of the thing was delivery. And so the kids would run up to the door. They'd pick up the money. It was all very, very sweet. And my daughter, who's nine, she, we were talking about this. And she said, this is great. We should do more of this. And I said, well, right. It's very labor intensive. It takes a lot of work to go find all of these golf balls. One of the things you could do is there are a lot of kids in the neighborhood who also live near golf courses. You could tell them that you will give them 25 cents a pop for the golf balls and they can sell them at buck a pop. And she said, the right question, she said, well, why do I get an extra 75 cents? Why should I sell it for a dollar when the labor input is 25 cents? So, well, you're putting in a bunch of other labor, right? You're aggregating the golf balls. No one wants to buy a single used golf ball. People want to buy 10 or 20 of them. So you're aggregating them. You're marketing them. You're dropping them off. You're doing the delivery. You're packaging them. You're doing all of these things and all these things take time. And my daughter turns to me and she says, so time is money. And I was like, yes, yes, it is. Here's kind of the beautiful thing about getting your kids involved in entrepreneurial activity at a very young age. One of the beautiful things is it teaches a lot of skills. So my daughter was learning and my son, they were learning math during this process. They were learning the value of actually working because they get paid for the work. They were learning that if they put in more input, if there's a market, they'll get more output. They're learning customer service. They have to be nice to the people who they are dropping the golf balls off to. Like all of these things are socializing and they are good. Free market is a good thing. And I'm very proud of my kids. It's very sweet of them. I'm also particularly proud of them because I asked them what they were doing with the money afterward. And they said, well, we're going to give like a big chunk of it. They, they earned like 70 bucks. I said, you know, what do you want to do with it? And they said, well, we have to give a lot of it to tzedakah, which in Hebrew is charity. We have to give some of it to charity. And then we want to take some of it. And they had a bit of a disagreement on what to do with it. Uh, they, they, one of them, my son reinvested it in capital equipment. He immediately went and, and took $20 and bought a golf ball washing machine. So that when we get the balls from the course, then, uh, then he can wash them off in the golf ball washing machine. So he was spending this morning doing that. Again, investing back in the business. Smart business move. Uh, my daughter actively considered buying stock. I'm not kidding. Because I'd explained to her how the stock market works. And so she's like, can I buy a share of a company? I was like, you can. You can, in fact, buy a share of a company. Ah, the joys of business. Okay, time for a quick thing that I hate. So uh, how stupidly woke have things become? Things have become so stupidly woke that even people who are anti-slavery are now being canceled because they're not anti-slavery enough in their depictions of the evils of slavery. There's an article in the New York Times that is titled, In Vermont, a school and artist fight over murals of slavery. Created to depict the brutality of enslavement, the works are seen by some as offensive. The school wants them permanently covered. The artist says they're historically important. So what happened? Well, apparently, for years, when students at Vermont Law and Graduate School came to Shirley Jefferson with objections to the murals in the student center and their depictions of black people that struck, struck some as race, racist caricatures, the longtime black administrator urged those protesting to move on. 
Miss Jefferson, who is 69, is no stranger to racism or to protest. She was born in segregated Selma, Alabama in 1953 and helped integrate her high school. She said, I told them, you did not come here to fight over a mural. You came to get educated. Then came the summer of 2020, and Jefferson and others found a renewed commitment to confront embedded racism. She said, when George Floyd was killed, all of a sudden I said to myself, that mural has got to go. But the artist who painted the mural, a person named Sam Carson, who is white, fought back against the plan. Why do you fight back against the plan? Well, because he says, number one, it is a major work. It is my life. It's important that it be there. And it's historically important in about what it says about black people rising up to resist. And it's important as a record of what we said in 1993. The two murals are each 24 feet long, and they depict the brutality of slavery with scenes including a slave market, a slave owner wheeling a whip, and an attacking dog. They also show white Vermonters protesting slavery and helping people escape to freedom via the Underground Railroad. The style is more expressive than realistic, and it was inspired by Mexican muralists like Jose Clemente Orozco. So now the law school has covered the paintings with white panels so as not to offend anyone, even though, again, the entire point of the murals is that slavery is extremely bad and white people participated in it. But it's not enough. They must come down because modern sensibilities are offended. And this is similar to, to a, a bit of a spat that we had yesterday on Twitter in which Ibram X. Kendi tweeted out pictures of the first president during President's Day. He's like, many of these people were slaveholders. Eight out of the first 12 presidents were slaveholders and, uh, and held thousands of slaves combined. And this is something you should remember. America was founded in slavery, not in freedom. And so I responded by saying, many of those people also wrote the Constitution that provided for its future amendment, attempted to abolish the slave trade by 1808, and also created the freedom that you are getting rich off of today. And this, of course, made some people very angry, made some people very, very angry because you're, you're supposed to only focus on the evils of the past. This is the beautiful thing about the modern woke generation. The modern woke generation is the only good, they're the only good people to ever have been born. They are perfect in every single way. And so everyone who came before them must be cast out into the outer darkness because all those people were flawed. But they are not flawed. They have all the right views today. Now, tomorrow they won't have the right views and they'll be forced to kneel and bend before the prevailing status quo. But for the moment, they are riding the high horse of moral privilege. And that high horse of moral privilege says that these people who have provided no actual service to society, who've never done anything of actual value, who've actually been a negative drain on society's resources in many ways, because all they do is chip away at the society that creates wealth and freedom. These people are spending their days stewing in hatred for people who died 200 years ago and also were kind of important and did things. It is amazing how people who uselessly sit there and tweet things on Twitter think that they are more important world historical figures than people who actually did things like found the United States of America. Alrighty, guys, the rest of the show is continuing right now. You're not going to want to miss it. We will be getting into the mailbag. So make sure that you are a member because only your questions will be answered. Become a member. Use code Shapiro checkout for two months free on all annual plans. Click the link in the description and join us. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So 
I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 